Seven or eight years ago, some guy called Jason Barnard in the UK drove 157 miles an hour down the motorway, and he kept ranking on my brand set. And I thought, how can I get rid of that? Because I don't want to be associated with this guy who drives like a maniac. Talkwalker just released its 2021 social media trends report. Now, this is a deep dive into social media marketing trends that are going to be most effective for 2021. It's based on interviews from top influencers and research from their platform. You know, Talkwalker is a social media monitoring intelligence platform. It is an amazing report that you do not want to miss. And uh, you can download the 2021 social media trends report at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Talkwalker. Now, I'm excited about uh, today's session because, I mean, if you've ever wondered why some brands have much better search results when you search the name of the brand than others, then this is going to be a great session for you. Um, You know, how does Google decide who gets a, a knowledge panel, who gets a featured snippet, who gets carousel results? Because we know we want our website to come up, but what about all those other rich uh, uh, search results that can come up when you search a brand. Um, uh, brand search is what you see when you search the name of yourself or your brand on Google. And at some point in the customer journey, people are going to search either your name or the name of your brand. And what they find can kill or seal the deal. Um, search results have a direct impact on perceived authority and credibility. So for example, if you call yourself a thought leader, right, and it's hard to find your website or someone seemingly less influential than you with the same name outranks you, there's like a disconnect between what you think about who you are and what Google thinks about who you are. Um, So we have with us here today someone I've wanted to have on the Earn Media Hour for quite some time. Um, He's a world-renowned brand SEO specialist. Uh, His name is Jason Bernard, and we're going to talk today about how to manage your reputation on Google search, which is obviously very different from trying to rank for unbranded keywords. Um, Jason, welcome to the Earn Media Hour. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, Eric, I'm I'm really, I think that was a great, great um, precis. I'm in France, I'm in Paris, so I'm going to speak in French. That was a precis. That was a, a, a basic explanation of what we're looking at and I think it's a basic explanation that people completely fail to look at how many people seriously look at their brand SERP and think is this important how does it look and how can I control it and the answer is pretty much nobody now Jason you are an expert in this area so you throw out a term like SERP and in your world that means something but what is a SERP? Search engine results page. I mean, that's the really nice thing is Google's result, the result page that Google shows for a search on your exact match brand name or your personal name is your business card. Google is showing your audience what it thinks the world thinks about you. That is so phenomenally us- powerful. So tell us, what is a brand SERP and why does it matter? 
Right, okay. The brand SERP is search engine results page, Google or Bing, but Google, because it's so dominant, is obviously the big one we're going to be looking at. It's the results page that comes up when somebody searches your brand name. Now, most brands think, yeah, okay, I'm going to be number one. After that, I don't care. But question is, what's number two? What's number three? Do you have videos? Do you have Twitter boxes? Do your competition have videos and, and Twitter boxes? Do they have knowledge panels that you talked about earlier on? And we're now looking at something. If you search for Microsoft today, you will see their site, number one, of course. But you will also see news, videos, images, lots of different opportunities to interact with Microsoft. And on the right-hand side, a factual panel. And that's the right-hand side is Google's facts. The right-hand side is what Google thinks is a fact. On the left-hand side, it's advising you what it thinks you might want to do. And there's a big, big difference there we'll go into later on. Well, well let's, let's do that. What is the difference between, a, between brand SEO and regular SEO? Right. Regular SEO is you're saying, um, it, it, in the case of red shoe seller, I want to rank for the term red shoes or number nine or size nine red shoes. Um, that's saying I want to attract somebody who's looking generically for a product that I can provide. So you have to convince Google that you can provide the best solution to its user. And remember, Google's recommending you. So Google's saying this is the best result I can find for this query. And if you're looking at brand searches, it's saying, here's the information I can give you about this brand. And that's a very, very big difference because whereas in the red shoe department, as it were, you're just trying to rank above your competitor, in your brand searches, you're trying to present yourself in the best possible light to your audience. And that makes all the difference in the way you approach it. Right. So what is the impact of a brand SERP on reputation? Well, the first time, I mean, most of my clients come to me and say, oh, I've got this bad result or the bad reviews or a negative result or something that isn't 100% true on my brand SERP. When somebody searches for my brand, they're not being presented with the message that I want to give them. It's too late. You should have been looking at that months, years ago, because you need to control that message that people see, your audience see when they search your brand name. So the idea of reputation management should not come up if you've already proactively looked at your brand SERP and learned to control it. The only case where it would come up is if some really bad piece of news comes up, which happens. But I had a, 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 an SEO buddy who said a year ago, I don't care about brand SERPs. I rank number one. What do I care for the rest of it? A year later, he came back to me and he said, I'm really glad you talked to him about that because I spent the last year actually looking into this. I had some bad press. And when that bad press turned up, I could control it, drown it, push it down onto page two within a couple of weeks. And if I hadn't listened to you, if I hadn't 
paid attention and gained control of my brand SERP, it would have taken me months, if not years, to beat that bad press. So, you know, pre-Google, uh, the, the field of reputation management pretty much was about how third neutral third parties, impartial third parties mm. like journalists Brilliant. and uh, media outlets, how they talk about a brand. And, and managing that discussion was sort of the thing of media relations specialists in the area of, of public relations. Um, is there, you think about like search results, that kind of is, you know, a media outlet, albeit, you know, generated by an algorithm. But nonetheless, if I search the name of an organization, my feeling is that the results are in some way, an impartial third-party account of what that organization is all about. Is there any research that you've seen or anything interesting kind of around, um, you know, what the relationship of Google search results is to corporate reputation? Absolutely delightful, wonderful question. I mean, uh, my personal opinion, and I don't have data to prove it, is that your brand SERP is a really good way to read the tea leaves. If you want a really deep insight into your brand, perhaps you do need a big um, company to look into where you're positioned within different segments within your audience. But what Google does, and I love this, is it? it's watching us all, all the time. It's so prevalent. It's so much there all the time for all of us that its opinion of the world's opinion of you, I think it's pretty much unbeatable. And your brand SERP is simply Google's opinion of the world's opinion of you. It's showing your audience or what it believes to be your audience, and hopefully it's got that right, it's showing them what it thinks is valuable, pertinent, and helpful, and relevant to your brand. So if you have number three on your list, a bad review site, don't just think Google's got it wrong. It probably hasn't. Google is the most powerful machine we know of that indexes the entire internet or as much of the internet as anybody else's index and then some so its judgment of the world's opinion of you is pretty good take a step back and think yeah why is it putting that there so what's this is the earned media hour we focus on the use of earned media mm. organic media to um drive impressions to generate leads to uh um manage reputation uh, what is the impact of earned media on brand SERPs? Yes, great question. What I love about brand SERPs, and I actually did an analysis, I mean, what tends to rank are social media accounts, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. They're the big ones. Obviously, the, the brand's own site. But when... You have a great article in The Guardian, is my example, because I read The Guardian on the New York Times. It will rank, but it's news. It isn't evergreen. It isn't something that will stick. 
So you have this situation where you're saying, I can earn media, and that earned media will tend to be short-termed. What I need to do in terms of convincing my clients, and remember, your clients will search your brand name to navigate to your site, and they will do that potentially multiple times per day. My clients, but also my prospects, I want to make sure they see something positive. So I have both the controlled media, long-term media, for example, my site, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, perhaps a review site like Trustpilot. And then I also have the short-term news that will come and go. And you need to manage them very, very smartly. Jason, um, just just for practical uh, uh, um, demonstration's sake, show us your brand SERP <laughs> and then walk us through the results and how you got them. Brilliant. I, I love the question. Um, so we're, we're, today we're talking about brand SERP. What are the results that get you get when you search the name of your brand or the name or your own name. So Jason has searched his own name and he's going to show us his results. These search results are different than most people have. And what's interesting is how different this is going to be across different uh, countries. Now, I hope now you can see my name. I, we see your correct? name. Yeah. So what are we looking at? What we're looking at is, number one, is my site, jasonbarnard.com. That's what represents me. And I think that's the fundamentally most important thing about your brand, SERP. It's that that first result is your own site. But Google shows your audience your site for information, for navigation to yourself. Number two is on this right-hand side, and I, this is really nice, I've got the... Uh, Jason Barnard is a British-French musician. Uh, I have a description. That's from SEMrush. That immediately says this guy is an expert in SEO. There is no doubt that I am an expert in SEO. Then we have the Twitter boxes, which are actually updated. Literally, if I post something on Twitter now, it will be updated within 17 seconds. So as a brand, I'm very interested in that real-time communication with my user base. And if you think, well, people hardly ever search my brand name, think about your existing clients. They search your brand name potentially multiple times a day. So the fact that your Twitter profile, your Twitter boxes are updating and that they see during one individual day that they're updating, that's a very strong signal that you're active and that you're interested and that you're a real, alive brand. Then if we go down, we've got Search Engine Journal. That immediately indicates that I'm an expert within the SEO digital marketing world. Then we've got videos, which shows that I actually make videos. Uh, the names here, James Mulvaney, um, this is SEMrush, Typo3. That's all very digital marketing-based. So it immediately supports my expertise and my authority within my industry. Then we go down, this is my site. Um, so I obviously control that. Um, I can say what I want to say about my own podcast. Then we have the LinkedIn profile. Then we have Sam Rush. And if you look here, I get right down to the bottom. This is a friend of mine, M M Milos. 
with an interview and then Wordlift, who are friends of mine, Italian company who do an amazing semantic tool for WordPress. You haven't seen any other Jason Barnards in this page. And yet there are at least 300 other Jason Barnards vying for a place on this page. Google, Google considers, sorry, not only am I the most important Jason Barnard in the world, the most probable Jason Barnard in the world that somebody might search for, but that this is information that people would be interested in, and it's basically my career. And we know that because you did an incognito search, right? Yes, I did an incognito search to make sure that it wasn't my personal results that would override what anybody else might see. And as we can see here, I'm actually pretending to be in London. And if I then switch this to say, this is a, a tool that I use a lot, and it's absolutely beautiful and lovely and fun. What is the tool? It's called, oops, GS Location Changer. Okay. And it allows you to change the location that Google thinks you have on a search-by-search -search basis. So if I now reload this page, there was I was in the UK in London. There we go. Uh, so, so there we Jason, see how do you do that? It seems like magic. I mean, how do you get your Twitter to come up and and your your YouTube to get up? What what's the secret? Right. Well, um, the thing is, I spent the last seven years looking at this and trying to figure out how I can make this result interesting uh, and convincing and positive and accurate. And one of the things that struck me is uh, seven or eight years ago, some guy called Jason Barnard in the UK drove 157 miles an hour down the motorway and he kept ranking on my brand set. And I thought, how can I get rid of that? Because I don't want to be associated with this guy who drives like a maniac. Um, and so I started to, see, to think, how can I affect, A, these blue link results? That would be a blue link result. This is a blue link result. This is a blue link result. How can I affect those? And then also, how can I create the Twitter boxes, which you just mentioned, the video boxes, and the image boxes, as you can see, my brand SERP, what appears when people search my personal name is very impressive, very visual, very convincing. And how did I do that? I just spent a year literally testing Twitter. Then I spent five months testing videos. Then I spent three or four months testing images. Um, to learn how I can make this happen, how I can get Google to think, and this is the fundamentally most important question, how do I get Google to think, A, I'm the most important person, and B, or sorry, not so much the most important, the most likely person that somebody is searching for, the most probable person, and B, that that person who's searching for me is interested in these images, these videos, and this Twitter feed? Um, and the answer is engagement. The answer is it thinks that this is important. It thinks that this is relevant. It thinks that this is helpful. And that's the secret of everything. And I've actually created a series of courses where I teach people to trigger these Twitter boxes, to trigger these video boxes, to trigger these image boxes and to control 
these blue links to make sure that this brand cert, what appears when somebody searches my name, is positive, accurate, and convincing. So um, for Twitter, for example, how many followers do you have on Twitter? It doesn't matter. The question isn't how many followers you have. I mean, I actually have very few, uh, relatively. Uh, I've got 4,600. It's not a so, big So I've big got, got 11,000. Let oh, me really? show you mine for a second. I want to workshop mine with you and get your thoughts on it. And then right. I want to invite anyone on who's on the call who wants to bring up their brand SERP and have Jason critique it to do that as well. So let me Lovely. bring up mine. Critiquing, excuse me, brand SERPs is one of my specialist topics. You show me a brand SERP, I'm the brand SERP reader, tea leaf reader, or whisperer, and I, I, can, I can manage and affect it. You, you have a delightful knowledge panel on the right-hand side. Well, I cannot take credit for it. I wrote a book uh, that was published by John Wiley and Sons, and I suspect that's why I have the knowledge panel. Right. Number one thing you should do, sorry, I, I don't want to tell you what you should do because that's No, no, no. I, hey, tell me what I should do. I'm all ears. Well, at the bottom, you can see you've got claim this knowledge panel. You should claim it because you can affect. I did claim the knowledge panel and nothing happened. Okay. I claimed it months ago and that still says claim it. Did, did you claim it using the domain name that's shown next to the little world symbol? I, I believe I did, and I, I had to take a picture of my driver's license and everything, and I did okay, all Okay, no, that. okay. It, it, sorry, excuse me uh, to interrupt. If you had to take a picture of your driver's license and show your social media profiles, then you didn't claim it through Search Console. Oh, I yeah. had to claim it through Search Console. If you have that little world symbol with a domain name next to it, then you can you can claim it through Search Console, oh, which awesome. means you simply have to be the owner of Search Console for that domain to claim it. So should I go into Search Console and do that? Theoretically, you can now click on Claim This Knowledge Panel if you're not in, in incognito mode. There you go. You've been verified. I've, <laughs> I've just solved your so problem. Now? Unless. If you now go back, if you if you go back and reload the page, um, I'm not sure if it's real time or not. Should I review info or anything? Yeah, go go for that. Let's let's have a look at that. What is That's that? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It still ah. says claim. It's going to take uh, several hours for Google to catch up. And then um, what happens once I've claimed it? You get an, an edit button where you can edit information, where you can ask Google to change information in that knowledge panel. Because um, you've got you've got your parents in there, you've got your your child in there. Yep. You add all that manually. You can, but and and this is the big but. It's really really important to understand. I can ask people at Google, and when you click edit, please edit this uh, listing. I can ask somebody at Google to add my mother, add my daughter, add my wife, add my photo, add my shoe size. I have a friend who got them to put that his shoe size is nine in the UK. So that's because you have a personal contact at Google. Not everybody can do this. No, no, everyone can do that. Once, once that claim the knowledge panel, perhaps if you reload the page, it will do so. But, the, sorry, and, and, and that's the really big... Uh, yeah, it takes a little bit of time, apparently. 
But that's the really big, important thing to know is that you can ask. If it doesn't work, I'm having you back on the show so that we can redo <laughs> it. Okay. Brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, that's, I want to invite anyone Sorry, else so- who's on the call and wants us to look at maybe for a client that you're working I- with. Or I, I, I just really wanted to finish that one point because it's really important. Please, please. please. Even when you do get control of that knowledge panel, what you will then do is say to a human being at Google, can you add my shoe size? Can you add my mother? Can you change my mother's name? And they can do that. They can do that for many things, for many aspects, for many attributes within this knowledge panel. Not all of them. But even if they change it, if the machine if Google's machine thinks they're wrong, it will switch it back. So you cannot force the knowledge panel and force the knowledge graph to understand something about yourself that is not corroborated and supported by the majority of information on the web. So if you wanted to say that your website was something else, you couldn't do that. If you wanted to say your Facebook account was something else, you couldn't do that. The machine would switch it back, even if you got somebody at Google to change that. What else about my SERP could I improve? You could definitely get some videos. You you have videos, so I would expect to see uh, video boxes. How, how do there. I do that? I've got a YouTube account. I put all my videos there. How do I get my videos to show up here? Well, number one there is on your profiles on the right-hand side. You can see LinkedIn and Facebook. You don't see YouTube. So it hasn't understood which YouTube channel is linked to yourself. So it can't uh, accurately and uh, with confidence show the videos from your channel. That's it doesn't the first have thing my Twitter want. either. And you could, you, you could help it with that. If, if you could help it. You have your site. If you click on the link now for the site, click on the link for your own site. The yeah. Here you can add schema markup. You can add schema markup that confirms what is said in the page, who you are, what you do, and you can point to your social channels, your social media accounts. So these need to be expressed in schema markup. Yes. Without that, Google will not be sure. And if I take kind of this, um, we take a step back and we say, okay, we can see those links, and it seems terribly obvious to us as human beings. Google is looking at that and saying, okay, I'm 40% sure that that's true. If you add schema markup, it's 80% sure because schema markup is... So in WordPress, that's... um... That's one of those uh, Gutenberg tools, like it's uh, there's an FAQ and then there's uh, another one that Yoast makes. Yeah, Yoast is a really great solution for this. Um, Yoast actually bundles all this in incredibly easily within your SEO. Uh, I know the. Do I have Yoast? Yoast? I have WordPress. How do I add schema markup for this page? Um, within your user you should be able to identify what the Twitter accounts and the Facebook and the YouTube accounts are. So I go to my user. Yeah. Here's my user, and I just edit. Yep, and you should be able to add them all. Oh, my God. (laughs) I I haven't even done it. You're so naive. so funny. Oh, my God, that's so helpful. 
Okay, I don't want to monopolize because I think but Cheryl wants to ask a question. But so if, I'm if going you to... just do that and you have Yoast installed. Now, ju sorry, just a really quick word on okay. Yoast and WordPress, which I think okay, is well, very let me important. Add, then while you're telling me that, I'm actually going to do it. Go ahead. Brilliant. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, two words, one of which is WordPress is 30% of the internet. And Yoast Say is that again because I think it kind of – I didn't get what you were saying. It kind of it it dropped out. WordPress is 30% of the internet. Yoast is 50% of WordPress. Yoast is actually 14 to 15% of the entire internet. And one thing that Google and Bingbot, uh, I mean, I talked to Fabrice Canal from Bingbot, um, who is an absolutely delightful chap who explains exactly how he programs. This is the guy who programs Bingbot. And Bingbot works exactly the same way that Googlebot functions. And he talks about the fact that the more they see a structure of a page or specific schema markup in a given structure, the more they are confident they have understood, the easier it is for these bots to understand. So if you're WordPress and you're using Yoast, you're already within 14 to 15% of the entire internet. And they've already understood, let's say, 30% of everything you have in every single page. And I think that's worth thinking about. It's that because these machines see both WordPress and Yoast over and over and over and over again, they learn to understand how the information is presented and they learn to understand how to extract that information, understand that information, make sense of that information and provide it to their users as a potential solution or a potential answer to their question. Okay, so check this out. Did I get this right? Yep. That's the way to do it? As long as the YouTube URL, I can't actually see it. It's very small on my screen. Uh, you add your YouTube URL, you add your Twitter profile, and you make sure, thank you very much. Yes, like that? that's perfect. Absolutely. So I did it right. Yep. And then you save it. Okay. Make sure you save these things because uh, we don't want to lose them. All right, so that's that should be it. That should that should come into the knowledge panel now. It will take time. Don't right, expect right. it, but eventually, in a week or so, that type of thing. Yeah, let, let, let's say a couple of months. Um, couple of months. You have to be patient. The thing about it is, is with um, search, we've become very used to the fact that Google is real time. Uh, and with the knowledge panel and with knowledge and understanding, Google's a little bit reticent. It wants to be sure. So um, if you're a trusted authoritative entity, things will change within minutes. And I've had that in my case. I can get things into the knowledge graph. I can get things to change within 10 minutes because I'm a trusted authority on the topics. And that's very important on the topics I'm talking about which is why you want to be the home of your own entity, because you are the authority about yourself. Uh, if it isn't sure, it will take months. It's still very slow. So every company has a website, which means every company is in the media business because a website is digital media. 
and the experience people have on your website directly impacts your reputation. I'd say it actually shapes your perception of that company or brand. I know when I go to a company that has a bad website, my impression is they're dinosaurs. They're gonna be difficult to work with because they're still in the dark ages. But it's tough to keep a website current, I get it. Particularly if you're reliant on IT to update your site. So if you're in PR or marketing and you're a non-technical person and you need an easy way to keep your site current, check out IPR software. They've got a super easy digital reputation management platform that you can use without writing a single line of code. And this is really cool. It's a special offer for Earn Media Podcast listeners. If you go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash IPR software and tell them you heard about them on the Earn Media Hour, they'll give you your first month free. So go to ericschwartzman.com IPR software, check it out and see how much easier your life can be. Now, in terms of uh, something like featured snippets, first off, Tell us, show us what featured snippets are, and then tell us if it, if it's possible to get them to show up on brand SERPs. Well, in fact, you don't want a feature snippet on a brand SERP, which is an interesting um, interesting course, interesting perfect point. Sense. Is that I'm not interested in Google telling me the answer to who I am. I'm interested, and in, I'm showing my screen again in Google, showing my homepage, my Twitter feed, and my knowledge panel. But if I ask, uh, for example, I mean, I haven't tried this today, who is Jason Barnard, there I get a feature snippet because I'm asking a specific question. So beyond the exact match brand SERP, questions are always going to be interesting for feature snippet. And if we look at this, and this is a really nice um, example, Jason Barnard, can't spell profession. There we go. This isn't, I couldn't spell it. I do apologize. This isn't a featured snippet. This is part of the knowledge graph. It's saying that Google has understood that I have been in the past a screenwriter, a singer songwriter, and a voice actor. So we're looking at, um, in this case, searches around the brand name. On the brand name itself, the exact match brand name, we don't want a feature snippet. We want the site, the rich site links. And if I search for my own company, uh, Cali Cube, we want this. We want the homepage, the rich site links, so that people can get easily to the part of the site that they're interested in. We want the videos because I've got a great video strategy. We, you, you asked me about that earlier on. Basically, if you want the videos, you need to make sure that Google understands which is your channel and that you are active in video. Then we want Crunchbase, maybe uh, this is my site talking about my own company, then some images. And as you can see, once again, I control everything on this page. I control my brand message. It's interesting. I see that you've you've got a podcast and you include your name in the name of the podcast. And I imagine that's intentional to come up in your brand SERP. 
Yeah, well, in fact, I've once again I've done these experiments. Uh, my podcast used to be called, uh, sorry, it used to be hosted on my own site, Jason Barnard. I switched it to CaliCube to see if I can move Google's understanding of that podcast from me as an entity to my company as an entity. And so far, it's taken six months, and I'm almost there. Google has now understood that the owner, the publisher of this podcast is no longer Jason Barnard, the individual. It's CaliCube, the company. Hey, uh, Cheryl, do you have a question you want to ask? Cheryl Proctor-Rogers is on, and I think she has a question she wants to ask. You want to just ask it via voice? Yes, please. Um, Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Jason. Eric, I just want to thank you again for a fabulous topic. I'm always frustrated (laughs) when my schedule conflicts. And Jason, seriously, this is just worth gold nuggets for those of us who are struggling with just understanding where to start. Brilliant. So, Eric, do you mind Googling Cheryl Proctor Rogers and having Jason probably totally embarrass me, but I'm 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 open for it. I can I can take it. You're a brave lady. And and one thing you said while Eric looks at that um, is where to start. And I think that's a really fundamentally interesting question because we don't know where to start. And brand SERPs and personal brand SERPs are a brilliant way to know where to start because it's focused, it's controlled. So you can look at that and you say, okay, let's forget about the rest of my SEO strategy. Let's forget the rest of my digital strategy. Let's just look at what Google thinks, the world thinks about me. Um, And if you can make that larger, Eric, because I've got terribly bad eyesight because I'm... Yeah, and just just to tee it up for a second, for those people who don't know Cheryl, Cheryl was the president of the Public Relations Society of America. She's like a heavy hitter in the PR space. Huge achievements, amazing career. And so I didn't put the dash in there because I don't think most people would in the the Proctor Rogers. So I just went, I just went Cheryl Proctor Rogers. And I'm, I'm, I'm in an incognito search which means my personal search preferences are not altering the algorithm here. This is just a raw look into what Google is going to show someone from my geography searching this, searching your name, Cheryl. Well, the hyphen doesn't make very much difference. But uh, what is interesting, if anybody's watching from an international audience, accents on letters do. Um, accents on letters change phenomenally, but hyphens don't. So my daughter is called Leonor Joe, and that's an L-E with an accent on it. And as soon as you take the accent away, it changes Google's entire understanding of who she is and what she does. Um, And your example, Cheryl, is interesting in the sense that 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 top site, is that your company? Yes, that's my site. That's my website. But that's your company. Yes. Yes, it is. And there's a very interesting and important question is that your entity, yourself, needs a home. And your home is currently your company. But you and your company are not the same thing. You could sell that company. Somebody else could take over that company. You, I would 
suggest as an individual need to have a personal site, even if it's only one page. That is the home for you as an entity. And then you allow your company to talk about you as opposed to the other way around. Why couldn't it just be a bio page on her company site? Because your company and yourself are not the same thing. Um, I, I'm sure we've all had the case, or a lot of us have had the case, where we have worked for a company or we have owned a company, but that company is not our existence. We are, and this is philosophical, we are ourselves uh, an entity that is separate from the company. Um, I, I, I'm finding this quite difficult to explain, but I would not allow my company to dominate my personal brand cert because I, as a person, should be dominating my own personal brand cert with my own message, not my company. Wow, that's huge. That's, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I, <laughs> like I'm, I'm thanking you. Right, okay. Um, so you should have a personal website at the top that is you, where you identify who you are, what you do, and what's important to you. Because what's important to your company and what's important to you are not necessarily the same thing. So you should be ranking number one with your own site. Number two, potentially your site, potentially LinkedIn, which ranks incredibly well for individuals all the time um then we we go down we've got twitter now we can see that it said one day ago that's that makes me think that you're active on twitter you're not quite active enough if you were more active on twitter and you got more engagement from your audience or the people that google understands to be your audience you would trigger the twitter boxes and if we scroll back down a little bit more those images are amazing because you have that same blue shirt on all the time. Now, I do this with the red shirt. And you've done a, an amazingly good job of having multiple photos that look very similar. And you've dominated the image boxes, which allows Google to say, okay, I can recognize, it recognizes that blue shirt. So it can recognize that that is the same person over and over and over again. So you, you've, you've done something very smart, which is to take the same photo and, re, and reframe it. And Google is fooled by that, which is beautiful. Uh, and if we then scroll down, we've got the Forbes. That makes you look very professional. Uh, we have the Facebook, um, which is, I hope, your uh, account. Uh, then we have business wire and, and yes, beautiful with the same photo. And I think that's very important. We were talking about that earlier on is having the same photo and the same bio on all these different sites isn't negative. We, we have this idea within Google or within, within a, the SEO community, you should not have duplicate content. And this is a case where duplicate content is actually very helpful. The more Google sees the same photo, the same text, the same explanation, the more it is confident it, is, it has understood who you are and what you do. So you're saying if you update your bio on Pinterest, you better update it on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter as yep. well. Exactly. And use the same photo for all of them. Well, that's the thing. If you scroll up a little bit, 
um, we see those photos. No, don't use the same photo because you get stuck with one photo and then all the others will be other people with the same name. If you, I mean, what I did was take multiple photos and upload different ones to each site. So I would spread them out, make sure that different sites, Google will not show the same, uh, sorry, images from the same site across that entire six pack. What it will do is show the same photo from multiple sites. Apparently, thanks to Cheryl, we now understand uh, if it's uh, presented slightly differently on each site. So take a so photo you love. Them a little differently is enough. Apparently, yeah. And th this is news to me, and I love that. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I actually took several photos and made lots of effort. But so the text needs to be the same so that Google understands that you're talking about the same person who does the same thing. But the photos need to be slightly different. And this was totally by accident, I promise you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say you're a genius. Uh, that's absolutely not a problem. Um, the thing is, as well is if you have a different photo on every single site, it won't work. You need to have three or four sites with the same photo, then three or four other sites with the same photo, and so on and so forth. So there has to be some kind of um, consistency. So the photos need consistency, but if you have too much consistency, you end up with just the one photo and therefore no domination. Whereas with, it, with the text, you have to have absolute consistency because that is what Google will understand and that's where you dominate. What, what could she do to get a knowledge panel going up here? Uh, well, number one is we come back to create her own website that represents herself. Uh, it's a home for her entity where she can start to say who she is and what she does. And then using that page, she can add schema marker. And we come back to that. It's a little bit technical, but it's, it's worth doing. And that's saying in Google's native language, if we like, which is what schema markup is, who I am, what I do, and then pointing to all the different sources on the, on the web, like the Bloomberg thing we saw earlier on, or the Forbes thing we saw earlier on, that confirms who we are and what we do. And that's where the interest of having that repetition is important. Because if you're saying on my site, I'm a writer and a digital marketer in my case, and then I point to search engine land and it says that I'm a musician and a blue dog, Google's going to say, oh, that doesn't actually confirm what he's saying. I want to point to things that confirm exactly what I'm saying on my own site. So that's the interest of saying, A, I need to have this text which is standardized, and I need to have this schema markup that explains to Google who I am, what I do in its own native language, and then signpost it, sign it sorry, to uh, corroborative sources that it trusts authoritative sources, third-party sources that confirm who I am and what I do in exactly the same way that I already expressed it. Is so, there a... So I have a question. Go ahead, Cheryl. I'm sorry. Go so, ahead. Jason, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing you um, because I've been quoted by um, Forbes a lot and other... I've done... I've guest blogged on very credible 
And none of those are coming up, which suggests to me, I decided I'm going to focus on this. Thanks, Eric. Um, it, what it suggests to me is that I'm not doing that properly. And I'm wondering the descriptors that, that follow every blog. Are you suggesting that all of those should be the same? Yeah, uh, you should have a 10-word summary of who you are, a 100-word summary of who you are, and a 300-word summary of who you are. And depending on the format of the site you're placing this information on, it should be one of the three. And it should never change. Thank you. Because it I should... have, I've been changing it because I'm thinking, well let's make it a little more interesting or let's take this out and put that in. It. And so that's not serving me. No, you're making it more interesting for human beings, but you're making it more confusing for Google. I mean, uh, the reason I know this, and it's basically I'm foolish and I did exactly the same thing. So it's not I'm saying, oh, you're, you're an idiot. I'm saying, actually, we all do this, is I thought, oh, this aspect of me is interesting or this aspect. And I would present it differently. And what I realized is the more I did that, the less Google understood. Google doesn't have a multifaceted uh, understanding of who we are and what we do. It likes this kind of linear idea of you are an author, or you are a speaker, or you are a digital marketer. And it needs to understand that. And it needs to hook onto that and it needs corroboration, and it's very, very simplistic. So here we are looking at news search results for Cheryl. Brilliant. And we can see that you know all her stuff is coming up in news. Why doesn't it show up here too? Like, what would she need to do to get some sort of a carousel going with news search results on you know universal search? Brilliant. Yeah, a hundred percent. Two different algorithms. Uh, the news, uh, basically, the, all of those buttons across the top are different algorithms. They all use the same data set, i.e. they will all use the same crawled content from the web. So you're still relying on Bingbot and Googlebot to provide this information, but they have algorithms that function slightly differently that are adapted to the needs of that particular type of media. So if you look at um, news, it's going to be recency. It's going to be the authority of the news site as opposed to the popularity of the site. And a good example of that would be um, a, a site that talks about uh, pop stars. That's popularity. That's not news. It's not fact. So you would have Forbes or you'd have the New York Times or the Guardian. That would get more visibility in news because the authority of the site in terms of the topic it's talking about will have an enormous weighting. Whereas in the all one right on the left-hand side, popularity plays a big role. If you look at images, it's going to be a lot to do with the alt tags. It's going to be a lot to do with the content around that image, specifically around that image. Uh, and the videos, it's going to be a lot to do with how they crawl the videos, how well they're marked up, what the content around those videos are. So the algorithms of these are going to be very different. And if you click back on all, the reason that you would get something like news, image, or videos, which is basically it's going to take 
what it can find in those different tabs. The images here is a very good example and say that is useful to the person searching this person's name. And so far, it hasn't seen that that news is useful enough. And I would suggest, without wishing to insult you, Cheryl, that it's because there isn't enough ongoing news that that news has too many days between each piece of news for that news to be interesting on a day-to-day -day basis on your brand set. Whereas for somebody like Microsoft or um, Britney Spears, the news would probably appear because there is regularly, very regularly, news about them. There you go, from Microsoft. There's constantly new things about them. In your case, if there's 30 days between each piece of news, I don't know what the, the figure would be, it's saying somebody coming back to this brand set day after day after day after day is just going to see the same stale stuff day after day after day after day. That's not interesting. I have a I have a practical question for you. Mm -hmm. So so you're saying that you know um, that you know sh uh, Cheryl should have a, a a website for herself as well as for her business. I know there are a lot of these sites where you can sort of set up a page like aboutme.com. Are any of those any good? Can you just go to one of those and set it up? And will that will that work? Or do you need to actually get CherylProctorRogers.com and set up a site there and get the schema going. Uh, I was talking to the guys at Wix. Um, the fact that the site isn't considered to be SEO friendly isn't important at all. It really isn't important. Um, what is important, if, if, if for example, you said uh, about.me slash uh, Eric, your problem there wouldn't be so much that your site wouldn't be official enough for Google, although it would lose a certain amount of uh, respect or authority because it's part of a bigger uh, and rather simplistic system. Your problem would be control over the long term. You have every interest to register any domain that's unique to you that you own and you control over the long term. So about.me slash Eric is not a solution for giving your home an entity, your entity a home, excuse me, I'm getting confused. Um, it would be by uh, ericschwarzman.com.org.name. It doesn't matter. And making sure that you own it over the long term so that in 10 years' time, when about.me has collapsed because there were no more investors, you don't find yourself without a home. What if I what if I just got the ericsforsman.com and redirected it over to about.me? Would the about.me fulfill the 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 solution of launching a one-page site with schema to tell Google who I am and point to all these um, yeah. relevant which is an absolute brilliant question because it actually kind of says something that I should have said and I didn't, which is, yes, 100%. What you need to do is own the address. You don't need to own the actual kind of server space. About.me is a server. It's a place where you can put stuff. So uh, what you need to do is own the address because then if you say today it's pointing to this about.me.com, domain 
Google doesn't see that. And tomorrow you can point it to a different server with a different set of content, with a different um, hosting provider on a different system, and Google will see exactly the same thing, i.e., uh, ericschwarzman.com would be, whether it's on a doubtme, aboutme.com or wix.com or wordpress.org, doesn't matter because it would see that it it's you still. So make sure you own, and that's the important thing. Sorry, Eric, it's what you're saying is make sure you own the address. Jason, this you've been so generous. We could go on for hours. This is such a great topic. But if someone wanted to take some of your courses or maybe get a hold of you for consulting, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, right. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Calicube.pro is my site. And it, it's a whole research kind of system. I'm tracking 75,000 brands and people and music groups. And I track their brand SERPs and their knowledge panel and their knowledge graph uh, integration. So you can go along there and you can put it all in there for free because I'm just interested in understanding. I really want to understand how this functions and how we can deal with it. Um, if you actually want to contact me, it's Jason M. Barnard on Twitter, Jason M. Barnard on LinkedIn. And for the courses, it's courses.calicube.pro. Calicube is K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E.pro. Thanks for joining us. You know, if, if you're in marketing, if you're in PR, if you're in social media and you're looking to grow your market share through earned, owned, and shared media, you definitely want to download the 2021 Social Media Trends Report from TalkWalker. It just came out yesterday. It's at ericschwartzman.com forward slash TalkWalker because it's going to help you generate more leads in less time. So go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash TalkWalker and check out and read the 2021 Social Media Trends Report before your competitors do. Uh, next week, we've got a killer guest, and we're going to do a clinic on packaging startups for shark tanks with angel investor Jeff Sailing. We're going to talk to him about what it takes to build an effective pitch for early stage investors. Um, he's an angel investor that helps scale business ideas from minimum viable product to revenue producing businesses. So bring your questions. He's going to talk to us about what type of deals are getting funded now, you know, post COVID. He's going to talk to us about, uh, what type of startups, um, uh, need the most help when they're pitching investors and also how to formulate the perfect pitch to secure early round funding. Um, so I hope you'll be able to join us for that. Uh, Jason, thanks again for uh, joining us today. And um, thanks, everyone, for, for attending. Thank you very much. That was absolutely delightful.